starting there in verse number 1. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done. This is in the church. This is in the context of life and of a local church. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery uh, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the service today. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified. Lord, I pray that you control what I say, how I say it. Help me to be true to your word. And Lord, use this to help us, to draw us closer to you. Please work on the needs that are in the hearts of the people right now. I pray your word would have that free course. Lord, help us to yield ourselves to it. And Lord, I, I pray especially if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, we certainly do pray for their salvation, that even today they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Yesterday for the men of faith, I, I, I dealt with the, the primary subject was really pressing toward the mark. Of, of looking at the ultimate goal that we have in life is not something that we do for God, but it is God in life. And so the first message I, I simply dealt with God being the goal of life. And it was more of the motivation uh, of the, of the uh, motivational message to look at. All right, this is the goal, but we need to know how to get there. It's easy to come up and say God is the goal. As we saw in Philippians chapter 3 yesterday morning. He is. Paul realized he had the wrong goals prior to who Christ was. He was living for the law. He was living for righteousness. It was all what he was doing in his religion. But when he met Christ, everything changed. Now it wasn't about living for a set of rules. Now it was about the relationship that he had with God. That is the goal. It is the relationship. I gave the illustration out of, of a baby, of a newborn baby. And how instantly there is that love, there is that connection, there is joy. You know, just like uh, when each of my children were born, there was joy right there. It was instant. The joy is not based on what that baby could do for me. The baby's going to do nothing but cry and poo. That's all the baby's going to do. So the joy isn't based on what the baby's going to do for me. The joy is simply based on the relationship itself because it's my child. 
It's the same thing with God. The joy is in the relationship with God, not in what you necessarily do for God. And so from there, we set out, okay, if that is the golden life, how do we get there? How do we press towards the mark? As Paul goes on to say, you know, I want to apprehend that which I am apprehended of. This is now my life, that I may know him, the, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto the, uh, uh, unto, unto the suffering of his death. I mean, incredible statements he's making. And, and then he went on trying, trying to elaborate how he did that. And, and I gave help with goals in life, because goals are good. And, and, I, and I, I, gave it, I, I said, listen, if you're going to have goals in life, you have to set a plan. If God is the goal, you have to know what you're going to do. Listen, many times, it's not that, we're, it's not that we don't set admirable goals in life. That's never usually the problem. You might have a goal, I want to lose 20 pounds. That's great, do it. The, the problem isn't the goal that you set. The problem is you focus on the wrong thing. Once you have the goal, now you have to focus on how do I get there. If you just set the goal, you don't have a plan. You'll never, you'll, you'll never, you're, you will never achieve it. I talked about the importance of just making small changes and how that will help. How some of the things we're looking at today and getting to that goal of God, you might not necessarily think of them as big, but it's the small changes that add up to a major difference in your life. As you put new things in place in your life, you allow those things to build. Sometimes we minimize the most important aspects of our Christian life, like faithfulness in church, like those, the, 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 the devotional time that you have. <clears throat> but small changes. And then I dealt with, it's so important how you identify when it comes to the, these goals in your life. And I talked about how the Bible stresses, like in Colossians, we have been translated into His kingdom. How Romans 6 tries to get us look at our, our life in a different light. And how Paul does the same thing in chapter 3 as he concludes in verse 20 and 21. Because how you identify when you're approaching things makes a difference. And, and the, the, the way that I can elaborate that, that I think you understand is really on the carnal side. You know, it, it, the, the goal, let's say you set a goal that you know you need to read more. The goal isn't to say, well, okay, I'm going to read a, a book every two weeks. No, the goal is to be a reader. If you just said that, okay, I'm going to read a book, that's all you're going to do. Well, I, I'm going to start eating vegetables. No, you should identify, no, I, 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 I want to eat better. It's how you identify yourself. I gave the illustration yesterday of, uh, let's say, two men who quit smoking. And you go, to, you go to one of them and somebody offers him at work, say, hey, listen, would you, would you like this? He says, no, no, I quit. Oh, no, I'm trying to quit. Okay. But he goes to the second one and the other man says, I'm no longer a smoker. The one changed how he identified himself. Because how you identify yourself, you are going to perform actions that support just that. Like I said yesterday, if you say, well, I'm not a morning person, you'll never be a morning person. Because that's how you identify yourself. It's not that you can't change. It's not that there's something about you that you can't actually be more active and, and use the mornings more wisely. That's not true. It's how you identify yourself and you feed that. Again, the same thing, the goal might not be, well, I'm going to run a 5K. No, the goal should be, I'm going to be a runner. It's how you identify yourself. That is so true when we cross it over to the Christian life. Of seeing who you really are in Christ. 
of knowing, listen, our citizenship was changed. And so we look at what Paul says. So what Paul said after, he said, I need to go after this. He said, so I forget those things which are behind. You have to forget past failures, past sins, past success, pressing forward. You, you have to reach into those things that Paul talked about next that is right before you. The opportunities God gives you, don't ignore them. Put those things in place, regardless of how small you might think they are. Reach forward to what God's put before you. <clears throat> then Paul dealt with, he told the church, and you better follow the right examples. Because he knew in their churches at Philippi, you're going to have those that simply are not the right example to follow. And the fact is, as we hit, as we go towards our goals, we do need help. And, and, and he stressed, he, he stressed us and follow those who, who aren't about earthly things. But follow those who are examples where, where, where they understand man, they're, they're headed the right direction. They have a genuine desire for God. They don't have to be, you know, spiritual giants, but they've got to be heading the right direction. <clears throat> and so now, that brings us to where we are today. And the importance of of what we're going to deal with today in being able to accomplish that goal. And that is the mind of Christ. It has been said, and it's, I think it's very true, the greatest battlefield on the earth is our mind. Who controls your mind determines your actions. This chapter is, the, the verses we read of this chapter are making the case of the importance of us having the mind of Christ. In a practical way, not in some mystical way. I mean, so often, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, so often when, we're, when we teach or preach, or even for our families or our principles we come to understand, um, we can look at them, we can say them in an abstract manner, but we fail to put it into a practical practice. It doesn't do anything then. It doesn't do anything. I mean, we can see what, what's going on, not, not just in our day-to-day, -day, but it's been, really been true for 2,000 years where this isn't in place, what Paul is talking about. Paul was dealing with churches. The church at Philippi was one of his strongest churches. But he was dealing with churches like at Corinth that were just a complete wreck. They had great numbers, but they were a disaster. It was, everything there was basically carnal, and he knew it. He had the church like at Galatia, which had to scare him to his core because the churches in Galatia actually changed what the gospel message is. They left the truth of the gospel just like that. They attached something to it. Oh, nobody does that today, do they? That's sarcasm. Everybody looks so serious out there today. Am I talking too strong? Everybody's just like staring at me like that. <clears throat> So Paul was dealing with a lot of conflict with the church at Philippi. Really, was was one of his strongest churches. But he knew, he knew, just like we, we've seen for two thousand years that we can come in. Churches can get filled with strife, with bitterness, with fightings, with jealousies, with pride. The joy is gone. 
You got some people who won't sit on this side. I'm only just going to sit on this side because I know about that person. I'm not going to do that. All of the flesh. He knows how easy that's coming. Why? Because it's who we are. We have a sinful nature. You could be a spiritual giant today and a nut job the next when it comes to your Christian life. I couldn't think of a better word. I don't know why that came to mind. I thought of Roger. So that came to mind. Having the mind of Christ is going to be essential if we're going to accomplish our goal of God. It's key to being successful in our Christian life. So how do we accomplish the task of allowing Christ, Christ's mind to be our mind? Again, you can almost see the importance, I'm going to drive it here, of how you identify yourself. Because you will support how you identify yourself. You will. Your actions will always feed that. How you look at yourself. Listen, there's a battle for your mind. Understand that. If you're the person who says, well, you know, it's, it's just me. I just can never, I can just can never get faithful to my devotions. That's how you identify. You will always feed that. Until you change that, that's not going to, that's not going to take place. Don't think you can't change that. Because you can't, you can change it today. The simple truth of Philippians chapter 2 can help our, our families, it can help our church, it can help us accomplish the goal. So let's dive into this. Three things we're going to look at here. We're going to consider, um, I just want to start off by just dwelling upon the mind of Christ, what it is. What are we dealing with here in this text? So that it, it isn't so mystical to us, but we can see understanding what he's dealing with here. And then we need to see what, what Paul is bringing out here. How it helps, how it's going to help you reach that goal, the benefits of this thing, and then how to put it in place. So let's start off this message, though, by considering the mind of Christ. Look at 5 through 8 again, verses 5 through 8. Let's jump there. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Notice the punctuation now. He's elaborating on that. All right? And this is a result of what he just got done saying. We'll come back to verses 2, 3, and 4. All right? Verse 6 says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not, not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, here we have the example of Jesus Christ, where God became a man and took on flesh. He... Here is Christ, here is God Almighty, picture, he, he was up in heaven in his glory. What we have taking place here is um, those in the Bible called doctrine called kenosis. It's, it's where Christ, dealing with his incarnation, and how that ties in with him being God. He never stopped being God. He was 100% God and 100% man. He did, as this verse teaches us, voluntarily lay aside things that he did, has have possessed because he was and is God. In heaven, he was in his glory. He had to set that aside and put on human flesh. 
He put on human flesh. He's no longer uh, right there at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's no longer there. As, as we see in other verses in the New Testament, when he, when he became flesh, he voluntarily submitted himself completely to the Father when on earth. He voluntarily set aside certain attributes, so he submitted himself to the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Incredible. He did not come as a king, he came as a servant. He came being God Almighty, now get this, obedient. Even unto death, the death of the cross. This is the creator of the universe. I mean, just think for a second, especially those, if you've grown up in church, sometimes it loses its power because it becomes too familiar in our life. But just take for a second to think about this as if you've never heard it before and you're you're realizing this is how everything came into existence. That God simply spoke it and the stars were there. That's incredible. He simply spoke it. This universe came into existence. This same God became flesh He humbled himself. You see what he's getting at here? Remember, I've I've taught this before. I've preached this before, how outlook determines outcome. Same thing. When it's dealing with the mind of Christ here, it's dealing with how you approach yourself and others. Your attitude. Your outlook. Because that's going, that will determine the outcome. That will determine what actions you take. You can think of Christ as compared to Satan. When, 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 when we have the, the uh, recording in the book of Isaiah, when Lucifer fell, when Satan fell, I will be like the Most High. I will, I will, I will. When Christ was on earth, thy will be done. One was about self, and one was actually simply about God and others. Christ's approach was about others and glorifying God. That's what it was. Not a vain glory. You know, even as it finishes with every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now it finishes to the glory of the Father. This is God Almighty. The holy, righteous God, perfect in every aspect, the creator of the universe, who became flesh, who humbled himself. This humbling of himself was for others. It's for us. We are instructed to have this approach, this mind, this kind of thinking. Of course, without it, you will never serve God as you should. It'll be a strife. It'll be a vainglory. Life will be about you. So, let's look number two here. Coming back up a little bit earlier into this text, at what the mind of Christ brings. How it's going to help us when we have this same approach as Christ. Verse two, we learn this. It brings unity. 
fulfill you my joy that you may be like-minded. The, the denominator for that like-mindedness is the mind of Christ. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This will bring unity. This will bring that one accord. There's a like-mindedness. Again, one thing that churches have to be on guard for is disunity that can come in. Now, by the way, if, if, if there's somebody here, if there's some disunity taking place right now, I don't know about it. So just let your mind relax. It's simply, you know, God knows and he's dealing with it then, because I don't know. All right? But a church has to look out for the idea of the devil getting his foothold in that disunity begins to take place. When the mind of Christ comes in, you know, there's so much of strife that is just of pride and self. Really. So much of it. So much, I mean, I don't know, probably what, 85-90% of it would just disappear if those elements aren't involved. We saw it in the, in the book of Acts in chapter 4, before we got into chapter 5, in, in, in verses uh, 32 and 33, when it's dealing with the explosion of the church. Know what it stresses? Unity. Being of the same mind. Ephesians chapter 4, we're not going to turn there for time's sake. It stresses endeavor to keep unity. That means we ought to be going the same direction, the same purpose. That means from leadership on down, trying to guide it in that way that what takes place is a result of an example that we have in Christ for others, for service. Not of strife, not of vainglory. Strife will always be the direct result of not having unity. You remove that, there's nothing but fighting, backbiting, selfishness. will never be effective. And Satan will certainly use a lack of unity to keep us from ever being truly effective for the cause of Christ. So without it, we know there's going to be division, there's going to be strife, or we'll spend more time fighting than we will praying. We'll spend more time arguing than we will actually soul winning. We'll spend more time praying or looking out for ourselves than we will about glorifying God. Our approach to church will be about self. But it not only does that, look what it does in verse 3 for us. So it'll help. When we, when we are striving together for the mind of Christ, this approach, this attitude, which we all can do, it's going to help us to be of one accord. But it also solves the problem we see in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. So as we're trying to accomplish our goal, it eliminates killers to us accomplishing that goal. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others other better than themselves. This is just the opposite of what we are taught, culturally speaking, in the Western culture. We are taught the opposite of this. We're grown up with, uh, with a worldly philosophy that it's about you. Make your name. Find your voice. It's all about you. Well, the Lord says, wait, you're not understanding. It's about humility. It's about esteeming others better than selves. 
Yeah, but then, then, but then I'll, okay, I'll, I'll just get taken advantage of. I got news for you. If, you if, if you'll walk humbly with God according to James chapter 4, he'll lift you up. Moses was meek. David was out tending his sheep, wasn't looking for a position. If we would just trust God and actually believe Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, just make it about him and not you. Trust him. You would say, well, nobody will know my name. Let's, let's be honest. Our name doesn't matter. It doesn't. And besides, I do believe those that have humbly and served God without a name, I, 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 I think we're going to be amazed at what God does in heaven. So what verse 3 is telling us where it helps us is it allows our work as a church to be pure. Pure works. Without strife. Without vainglory. Look what it says. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Notice the punctuation. But in lowliness of mind, dealing with the mind of Christ, or the approach of Christ when he came to the earth. Let each esteem other better than themselves. This helps keep our works pure. With the right motivation. Many times what's done in the name of the Lord is simply a result of pride, a result of strife. My bus is better than your bus. I'm going to work so hard this week because my bus is so much better. I have to talk to Josiah about that all the time. Have you seen his dad? I mean, come on. Or getting called from another church which literally took place. Hey, what did you guys run today? Give them their, oh, we beat you. <laughs> That's a vain glory. You do understand that vain glory is an incredible, an incredibly powerful motivator. And that is used and manipulated even in the service of the Lord. That's why Paul is dealing with it. We are to serve God out of principle, out of truth, because He's God, not to prove to someone, I'm better than you. Look at me. Look how bad they are. But look how good I am. So much is about self-glory. The need of that in our life. Instead of trying to relinquish that, say, just let my life be about God. So when the mind of Christ, that approach, that attitude begins to take hold, you're no longer working for vainglory. You're going to be serving God because you love Him, because He's God, not to be seen of men, not to further your name, but to further His name. And then we see in, also in verse 3 how humility is drawn out here as well as it brings it up in verse 8 with Christ's example of humility. Again, you can think of, obviously the greatest example of humility is Jesus Christ, God Almighty, leaving His glory to put on flesh, to walk on this earth, what He was willing to do, to humble Himself. Humility is a lowliness of mind. I like how Andrew Murray said it. He said, humility is not thinking meanly of yourself, it's not thinking of yourself.
it's seen really how unworthy we are to be called the sons of God. It's understanding that like everybody else, I needed grace. I needed unmerited favor from God. We forget that. We, oh, we, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. Some people might question that we forget that. We don't necessarily forget that when it comes to our salvation. We forget that when we approach others who aren't at the same place we are. That we needed the grace of God too. We sang the psalm this morning, Micah 6.8. What is required of thee, O man? To walk humbly with thy God. And we saw, you know, as I've already mentioned, when you concentrate on God's name and not your name, when you humbly walk with Him, James chapter 4 tells us He will lift you up. We have the example here, don't we? How does this finish when it deals with the humility of Christ, of Him being highly exalted? Which that day is going to come. What a great day that is going to be. It is. When every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But even in that, even in that, I mean, I have to, I have to admit, there's, there's, there's sometimes in it, and I don't necessarily know that that's bad, I'm not saying that, but uh, the motivation might not be the best of that at the time. But in here, you see it as the best motivation for it. It, it doesn't say, just to show who's right, it says, to the glory of God the Father. We also see in verse 3 and 4, where it deals with let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It also produces not only humility with this approach, this mind of Christ, it produces an unselfishness. I mean, so often, and it's, it's part of our, of our sinful nature, we can just get so caught up in self. We think of our needs and our needs and our needs and our needs instead of the other person. Selfishness is, a, is a, such a common sin in our life and it's a root sin that feeds other sins. You can see it in our actions constantly. I cannot believe. Cannot believe he sat in my spot in that pew. I have sat there for 20 years and they know it. That happened today. That's what I'm dealing with that. No, it's not. And only we're going to accomplish a, a victory in these things to, so we can press toward the mark is with that mind of Christ, that humbleness, that submissiveness. This was interesting. There was a reporter who was interviewing uh, uh, um, what, what's, what was I can't remember the, the position he held, but anyhow, did not own the company, but was known for the ability to place the right people in the right jobs. Who to hire, who not to hire, was in the business world was sort of considered a legend by that led to an incredibly successful company. And during the interview, was asked the secret of the success of this, especially about hiring and knowing who to hire, who not to hire, and where to place them. This is this is a direct quote from. Him. 
He said, if you want to find out what a worker is really like, don't give him responsibilities. That sounded odd to me, but listen to his point. Give him privileges. This, this is what he does to determine who to put where. Most people can handle responsibilities if you pay them enough. But it takes a real leader to handle privileges. A leader will use his privileges to help others and build a company. A lesser man will use privileges to promote self. So that's what he looked for. He would do a test with a measure of privileges and see how the person responded to it. Then he knew what to do with that person. The Lord Jesus Christ had amazing privileges, if you will. He used them for others. It's the same approach that we have. The same approach that we need, I should say. We also see it leads, lastly here, to obedience. Obedience, in verse 8. <clears throat> Jesus being obedient even to the death of, death of the cross. Many times it's, it's easy to be obedient when there's no real challenges to the obedience. It is. Let's face it. When there's no real challenges to the obedience in life, it's, it's pretty easy. For instance, in my life, I mean, I, I, mean I, I got saved at an early age, not grow up in a Christian home, but I got saved still at an early age, serving Christ by the time my sophomore year of high school hits. So there's certain things that aren't a battle for me to be obedient with, like alcohol. That was never an issue for me. It's easy for me to be obedient to it. There's others who, they got saved out of that, they might have more challenge with that. And what helps us, again, is this mind of Christ and, and being obedient even in those difficult areas, even when suffering is involved. Like it says, even the death of the cross. Serving God is not always easy. Many times it's going to demand suffering. It's going to demand persecution. As we're getting ready to see in our own culture right now. If without the mind of Christ, our obedience is only going to go to a certain line in the sand. But then self-preservation is going to kick in really strong. And we're not going to be willing to cross that. Now, let's get practical here and finish this up. How do we obtain the mind of Christ? One of the key words, number one, is found in verse 5, the very first word. What does it say? What's the first word there? Let. 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 Scripts, according to the word of God, and this is true, we already have the mind of Christ. We just don't allow it to be in control. Let me show you. Look over in 1 Corinthians. Turn, uh, turn back to 1 Corinthians there. Chapter 2. This was a church that was not allowing the mind of Christ to control, full of carnality. Look at verse 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? Look at the next, next sentence. But we have the mind of Christ. But then notice where he goes in verse 3, almost, you know, remember, we put the, men put the chapter breaks in, God didn't. It says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And he goes on to some of their problems and he continues from there. 
the mind of Christ simply wasn't controlling. But as he made this statement, I'm trying to draw out from there, is you have it. There has to come a place of allowing it, of that submission to it, of making that choice. You need to make that conscious decision to allow the mind of Christ to be your, to be your mind. It's not some mystical mind. It's not some, one day I was, I was there and I was in the Spirit. And it just took over. No, that's not what it's dealing with. It's dealing with when you get up tomorrow morning. And you're making a conscious decision. On your knees before God praying, Lord, help me today. Lord, thank you for giving me the mind of Christ. Please help me to have that approach. To think of others. Not to go through this day looking for vain glory. It's allowing it. It's letting. Listen, and again, you know, the problem is if you don't have other disciplines in place, you might agree with this in principle, but again, it's just like it's floating out there. It's nothing practical in your life until you say, ah, this is what I need to do. It starts with those small changes. All right. If I'm to be successful at this, you know what else I have to do? I have to be faithful with my walk with God. That's right. So plan to do just that. Say, okay, I, I'm going to do that. So that means I need to get up at this time every morning I will read this much. I will pray for this amount of time. You plan for it. You can begin to put the things in place that allow for changes in your life. Not only do we need to let, especially, well, it's been true, it's not this true nowadays, but it's the culture I live in. It just seems more true today. Look at Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, verse number one, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There needs to be the allowing of this approach to take place. At the same time, we need a renewing of this mind that we have. All right? Again, the mind of Christ deals with not so much the knowledge that our mind holds and contains. It deals with our approach between self and others and God. A humble approach. Along with that goes the fact of, of us needing a renewing of our mind. As I said earlier... In Philippians chapter 2 there, when it deals with us esteeming others better than self, that directly opposes what we are taught as a culture today. It does. It's directly opposite that. Do you understand that's not the only worldly philosophy that we have ingrained in us? When it's ingrained in you, do you understand that, that, that you actually believe that? You believe that that's, what, that that's what's going to key to me doing what I need to in life. 
There needs to be a renewing of our mind that's not conformed to this world. The scary thing is this. Please, don't, don't disregard this. So many people just dismiss this. We are seeing a genuine, frightening change in multitudes of churches that, it, to my knowledge, I don't know that we've seen take place in 1,500 years. There was another time when Constantine where we had something similar take place. We are seeing churches literally conforming to the world. That's a truth. I mean, that's really happening. That's true, not a truth. I think that's how I should say that. That's true. There's a danger in that. And we could break it down. It doesn't matter who. We, we're all, we all have the same sinful nature. Again, it's not that we're better than that. We have to protect ourselves against that and try and help those to come up with reasonable scriptural arguments of why that's a danger. I brought this up a couple years ago in a series I did. And the main principle I was trying to bring out in that one series was this point. How when it comes to our Christian life and as a church, we have to be principled in our approach and not pragmatic. In other words, with that philosophy, what people see, that they see, a, they see all of a sudden, it packs it out. Packs the church out. So they look at it from a pragmatic point of view. But if they're breaking scriptural principles to get there. Friend, right now, as you know, we have the radio ministry here in Anchorage and the lower 48. It brings in almost more visitors than anything else already, the radio. Do you know that if I went pragmatic, I think we'd already had to build another building by all the visitors have been coming in. But I have to stay principled and not conform to this world. Do you know that the church is about glorifying God? My number one goal is not creating an atmosphere where the lost can feel comfortable. I, don't, I hope they do. I'm not going to create an atmosphere where they feel miserable. God's Holy Spirit will do that on the heart to draw them unto Christ. But it's about what's going to glorify God. So we have philosophies that have come into place where we need a genuine renewing of our mind. And God certainly desires to do that for us, and He will. And that, that does matter of getting into genuine biblical principles. Well, how do I do that? Well, that's why we have the church, Ephesians chapter 4. It is. To come in, Learn of truth. Begin to grow. Oh, I see that. Now, I see what God's teaching here. I need that. You begin to grow. <clears throat> and it will take self-denial. It definitely will. We have to let, we need a renewing of our mind. And then let me finish with this this morning. Colossians chapter 3. This will feed the renewing of our mind. But this is its own. I'm making this at its own, but it really, I could have almost made it a sub-point to the second one. We have to allow it, that approach. That's a conscious decision of denying self. 
Let's look at a couple of verses here in Colossians chapter 3 as I finish. Uh, Let me start in verse... I'm going to back up and read a few more verses here as I'm looking at this right now. Let let me start in verse 12, because I think verse 12, you can see some of the things that I've already dealt with in, in relation to the importance of the mind of Christ and what it does for us. Look at verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now get this, where he goes down 15 and 16. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let me stop there. I I think one of the keys is allowing, as we see where he's going with that, as Paul is giving the instruction to this church. Remember, the the church at at Colossae is one of the first churches that had the rise of, of of Gnosticism taking place. We're going to get into it by the book of Acts when we're getting into this man of Simon in the book of Acts. I think it'll be a, a really big help. We're going to see how all that got started with Simon. Um, he was a false convert that we see taking place in chapter 8. We're, we're right into that now um, as we're going through the book of Acts. I haven't, I haven't started with him yet, but that's where I'm at. And so the first two chapters of Colossians are very doctrinal, very theological. And they bring out great points like the preeminence of Christ. That's what they really stress. Then in the next two chapters, as he finishes, he deals, okay, how should this, how should this doctrine, these teachings change us? And, and he gives us this instruction as he's going through, he then be risen to Christ, seek those things which are above. In other words, if all this is true, as he finished chapter 2, this is how it should affect us. He's going through there and, and the importance of how we deal with relations with each other. Obviously dealing with the point of humbleness, putting others before self. Probably one of the keys for all this, especially when it comes to our mind, is, is verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Letting God's word dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Not just having a basic knowledge of Scripture, but letting it dwell in you richly. Richly. You know, when you, when you have your reading, you know, take a verse with you or a, a thought from that, that day. Think about it. Maybe write it on a little card and just keep it with you and look at it from time to time. Let it dwell in you richly. I believe that is one of the keys to having that mind of Christ. Listen, if we're going to be effective, we need the mind of Christ. If we're going to be able to reach our goal of God, it's essential. And again, it deals with an approach, an attitude. We're Christ who, God Almighty, willing, willing to put on this flesh to become a man, to set aside voluntarily you know, aspects that he had enjoyed for an eternity of who he was and is. That he could save us. 
willing to suffer, willing to die, even the death of the cross. And Paul's putting that in perspective of not teaching on salvation, of teaching how we deal with each other. That we would have an approach like the mind of Christ. Lord, help me to esteem others better than self. Lord, help me to walk humbly before you. Just striving, striving to truly serve you and glorify you. From there you get all those benefits. The unity comes into play. The pure works, pure motivations for what you're doing hit. We have to let. We have to allow. With heads bowed and eyes closed.